Hey everybody, John Gucci Foley here and welcome to the High Performance Zone. This is where the best get better and we dive into the process and mindset of greatness. You know, how to close the gap from where you are to where you want to go, whether it's in sports, in business, or in the elite, sacred space of the Blue Angels, we are going where you have gone before. And with that, my guest today, Alan Steen Jr. Hey Alan, you know the this is incredibly well. Number one, welcome to our show. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to be here with you. We're gonna have a lot of fun. Man, we got a lot of fun. I, Alan, I am so, I'm one of your biggest fans. And uh, what I see you do as a, as a speaker, as a writer, you know, um, as a podcaster, I know you've done over 500 of these podcasts, but your content, your wisdom is so strong. But what I really appreciate about you is your passion, man. You bring it every single time. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Well, the feeling's very mutual. Uh, I'm a huge admirer and fan as well. And uh, I'm so excited to connect because I, I think we share many similar principles and values and, and thoughts and strategies, but we've come from different backgrounds and different angles. And I think the way we can see those things cross over and see how much overlap there is in high performance and in leadership and in culture, uh, to me, that's what's the most fun. I'm with you 100%. In fact, what's the differentiator? I was uh, listening to you uh, on a, a bunch of your content, and, and there's a differentiator in you. Why don't you let the audience know what that is? Well, well my background comes from elite-level basketball, and it was mostly uh, at the youth level. So I had an opportunity to work at uh, two very renowned high schools here in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, that in the 13 years I was sitting on the bench with those programs, uh, they've produced over a dozen players currently in the NBA. So really high-level players, uh, but equally high-level coaching. Um, two high school coaches that really understand uh, how to develop young people, uh, how to teach things outside of the game of basketball. So the ability to teach leadership and communication and accountability. Uh, and then those uh, actually led to, to some Jordan Brand and USC basketball. Uh, so I think what makes my journey unique, I had an opportunity to see NBA players before they became NBA players when they were just, you know, teenagers. But then I also had an opportunity uh, to work some events and see guys like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and see guys that had already made it to the highest level and see what they do to sustain that high level of performance. So I think seeing kind of the before and the after picture gives me a, a rather unique perspective. Yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. And I love that, you know, you've gone deep with the youth and the elite of the elite. So I'm kind of curious, you know, we talk about this high performance zone or this idea of being in the zone. What does that mean to you? I think in order to get there, you have to learn how to fall in love with the fundamentals and the basics, and you have to work towards mastery of the basics. Yeah. Uh, I think that being a high performer, and it doesn't mean that you don't ascend to more uh, advanced techniques and so forth, but you have to have firm command over those fundamentals. And any high performer that I've ever been around uh, understands that, both intellectually and intuitively, but more important, they actually put those things into practice. They don't allow themselves to get bored with the basics. And, and you know as well as I do, we live in a world that's constantly telling us we should be looking for shortcuts and hacks, always telling us we should be chasing whatever's new and shiny and sexy. But if you can have razor sharp precision on mastering the fundamentals, especially during the unseen hours when no one else is watching, you can give yourself the, the highest chance to perform at the level you're capable of. I agree a hundred percent, you know, whether it's flying jets and you're in the blue angels, it's still back to the fundamentals, the basics. In fact, our first flight, you know, this is after flying in the movie, Top Gun, flying off on and off aircraft carriers, you know, hundred lands, nighttime, uh, became an instructor pilot. My first flight on the blue angels, get this. So, so we brief it and you're wearing your blue suit and you're like, wow, I'm finally in this cockpit. Right. And uh, we get into the briefing room and, and Spurt, the flight lead, uh, says, okay, Gucci, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, go through our checklist. We're going to taxi out. We're going to get airborne and we're going to turn the smoke on and we're going to turn the smoke off. And I said, okay, got it. And he goes, now it's your job to match me. I said, great. He says, okay. And then he says, and then I said, well, what else? He goes, no, that's all we're doing. He says, for the first flight, all we're going to do is turn the smoke on and smoke off until you have mastered that. And I'm sitting here going, this is a $40 million airplane. You know, we got 10,000 pounds of fuel and we're just going to practice smoke on and off. Uh, but it, it reset my, my brain. 
that, you know, yeah, I mean, we need to get back to the basics, the fundamentals, and then it became a step-by-step process, timing patterns, running them thousands and thousands of times. I know you do, you have some great stories about the, the, the fundamentals, whether it's- Oh, absolutely. Well, well yeah, one of the things I love about what you just said is uh, this mindset of having a checklist yeah. and, and being able to have this organized checklist, which I'm guessing for the most part, when you're a veteran like you are, you have it memorized, but we don't, no. we don't want to, to resort to that. We want to make sure that we're taking this basic approach. And I I think that's so fascinating that uh, on the very first flight that that's all you did was turn the smoke on and turn the smoke off. Um, But I like that you admitted that that kind of reset your mind into diving back into those basics. And then obviously, I mean, you're part of the most elite group in the history of the world, which means you're going to ascend to higher level things, but you can only do that if you've built the solid foundation. And that foundation is always going to be those fundamentals and basics. And, you know, a perfect example in in a game like basketball, uh, now that the NBA is resuming and we can watch some games, uh, a young player will will turn on the TV and they'll watch a guy like LeBron make an incredible move and they'll want to run right out to the park and try to emulate that move but what they don't understand is they haven't built all of the building blocks that allows him to do that move they're trying to skip steps Uh, and I learned at a very early age that the only way you can get to the top of a ladder is rung by rung you can't skip steps so in order for LeBron to do that amazing move that gets all of the oohs and ahs he had to master several basic steps and then when you combine those then you get that finished product so you you can't skip those steps and that's you know sometimes one of the hardest things to convince young people of um, because as you know uh, the basics can get monotonous they can get boring if you don't have so much pride in your work and so much pride in your craft that you allow yourself to you know be fully into them yeah i love it i love it we're going to get to one of your signature stories because i want to hear about kobe and and when you uh witnessed what his regiment was but uh, you know what you hit on was that stair-stepped approach. It made me think about when I was a Blue Angel, we, um, we spent 120 training flights. So when the team transitions, it's kind of like a sports team. At the end of the year, you know, some of the people stay and some of the people go. On the Blue Angels, we had 50% of the pilots moved on. It, it was your time was, was over. And 33% of all my maintenance and support crew. So imagine this, you know, you're coming into a new organization, a lot like in sports, half of your players are new and a third of your support team is new. And, and you not only have to maintain a level of excellence, you know, reach the level of excellence, but sustain that with new people under changing conditions. Right. And I think that's what, that's, what's true in business. It's what's true in sports. It's what's going on right now. You know, how do we adapt to the changes and yet maintain that excellence? Well, one of the quick stories uh, was on winter training. We take that new team, we go out to El Centro, California, and we spend three months where we are locked down, basically. You, you go away from your families, um, and for three months, you are 100% building the chemistry, the culture of the team. And there's 120 training flights, and we go step by step. And it starts with turning the smoke on to timing pattern to just flying an inverted roll and being able to roll 180 degrees, not 179. Yeah. I, I had to do that over a thousand times before I got that muscle memory, right? And, and, and we just build the team. But um, tell, me, tell me a story that, that you've seen uh, where those fundamentals are actually the core of greatness. Oh, I most certainly will. But before I do that, the, the reason I think you all had to do that, as you know so well, when you're going to have that type of turnover, uh, you have to have a system and you have to have standards yeah. and practices. You know, this can't be every time new guys come in, it's like, well, how do you guys want to do this? Right. No, we have the blueprint. This is exactly what you need to do in order for us to maintain the unparalleled you know, level that you guys had done. So when you have new people, uh, that's crucial. And it, it reminds yeah. me a little bit of the college basketball landscape, you know, where players that are really elite can come play college basketball for one year and then leave to go to oh, the yeah. NBA. So when you have programs like Duke and Kentucky, a good portion of their roster turns over every single year. Uh, but that's why those coaches have to have, I mean, blue angel like systems and practices in place. So when those young guys get there, they say, this is how we behave. This is our culture. This is how we play on the court. This is how we act off of the court. And they have to have that in place. It it can't be wishy-washy. So I, I think that's just absolutely remarkable that you guys had that level of precision and detail, uh, you know, to be able to do that. So that is, that is super cool. Hey, you Um, mentioned, 
Yeah, okay. thanks. Real quick, uh, you mentioned USA Basketball and it, Jerry Colangelo, you know, back to yeah. where he, he and Coach K, right? What yep. they, when they turn that team around, um, you know, you've, you've worked with them. I had, a, I had a good opportunity. I spoke to the Global Sports Summit where to get in the building, to get in the room, you had to own a major league sports franchise team. Wow. This is a cool audience, right? And yeah. that was, I was like the, the kickoff speaker. And you would have loved this because I'm going, holy cow, you know, um, what am I going to say, right? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about high performance teams, you know, yeah. and these, these, these guys understand it. And then they had me do an interview with, uh, with, with Jerry Colangelo yeah. for USA Basketball. For those who don't know, he's the father and the one that really makes it happen, right? Yes. And, uh, and Clark Hunt, and they just won the, the Super Bowl, you know, last year. And yeah. we, we talked about management and sports and, and greatness. But uh, tell me about USA Basketball. Coach K, Jerry Colangelo, you had some unique experiences there. Oh, most certainly. Well, I, you know, I, I have to, to share my bias early that I'm, I'm a huge Coach K fan. Uh, I, I read some of his books very early in my coaching career, and they had left, they left such an imprint on me. You know, his, his overall philosophy on building teams and communication and, and how you lead with the heart and you show that your players that you care about them as human beings first and as athletes second. So very early in my career, I devoured everything that he put out and really developed a really strong allegiance to kind of that mentality. Uh, you know, this concept of, of having standards to uphold as opposed to having this really thick rule book of guidelines, you know, is something yeah. that I adopted from him. So yeah, I've been a lifelong fact, tell me fan. Yeah, tell me when you met Coach K for the first time. You know, he's an ex-West Pointer. You know, he oh, went to – Yeah, West Point. And uh, it's funny because my dad was a West Pointer, and I went to Annapolis. Uh, but I know what, what that was through, right? And, uh, and, and Coach K, uh, I met him once at an event. But you tell me your story. Tell me what, what it was like. Well, well, that was what was neat. So I, I kind of idolized this guy, put him on a, just a, an unparalleled pedestal for years and years. And, and one day I was getting ready for practice at, at a school called Montrose Christian, which is where Kevin Durant graduated from. And a uh, very small school, it was going to be a normal day practice. And I go up to our court and I walk in the door and Coach K standing 10 feet away. Uh, he was there recruiting one of our players. And as you can imagine, I'm a, I'm a little giddy. My, my heart's skipping a beat. Like, I cannot believe that this guy that I've been idolizing is standing 10 feet away. And uh, we were both uh, there, you know, several minutes before practice started. So I had a chance to chat with him. And, uh, you know, it's funny that even though this guy was an idol of mine, I don't remember anything that either one of us said. Uh, but you know what? I'll never forget how he made me feel. Yeah. You know, he had wonderful eye contact and a warm smile and open body language. Uh, he kept asking me question after question. You know, he made the conversation about me, not about him. And, and you know, you're talking about the all-time winningest coach in the history of college basketball. Someone that is on the Mount Rushmore of team sport coaches in the history of the world. And he's taking time to talk to a lowly high school strength and conditioning coach for about 10 minutes. And, you know, I, I was raised very old school. Uh, my parents taught me that when someone goes out of their way to do something nice for you, you handwrite them a thank you note. Nice. Uh, so I went, I went home that night and I wrote him a thank you note. You know, Coach K, I just wanted to let you know how, how much it meant to me that you took the time to chat. Um, you know, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm gonna continue to root and support you in Duke. And I put a stamp on it and I mailed it off to Durham, North Carolina. And I figured that would be that. And three weeks later, uh, I get a letter back in the mail. In fact, I, I mean, it's sitting here in my office. Ah, perfect. I, yeah, I mean, this thing is always, always within reach. Wow. And, you know, he hand wrote me a, a note back uh, that basically said, no, Alan, it was very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for wow. sharing. You're doing a great job. You know, I'm continuing to root for you. And I just remember being blown away that the face of college basketball, you know, an icon in team sport coaching could take the time to write me, an absolute no one, uh, a note of gratitude. And it really had a profound impact on me because of this little note that he wrote. Uh, one, I wake up every day with a sincere attitude of gratitude and want to tell as many people as possible that I appreciate them. Um, that's, you know, I figure again, if, if a coach like Coach K can take 60 seconds out of his day to appreciate me, then you better believe I can do that for other people. But even more importantly, I am a relentless stickler for returning emails and phone calls and voice messages and text messages because I figure a guy of Coach K stature can return a handwritten note to me, then you better believe I can call you back. You better believe I can return your email. 
Um, so that, you know, th this is where I, I've really come to realize that little things make a huge difference over time. Yes. You know, I'm guessing this little note took him 60 seconds to write. So over the course of my entire life and course of his entire life, 60 seconds is a very little thing, but that little thing had a profound impact on my life, my perspective, and my wow. outlook. You know, um, Rizzo, you have a quote, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you know who said this. It probably sounds like some um, sports coach, right? It says, put your faith in the small things because that's where your strength comes from. Do you have any idea what coach or player you know, or – uh, if I had to bet, I would say John Wooden, only because yep. almost all sports quotes came from Wooden. But no, but I, I love that. And you're 100% right on point. Well, it's not me. It's Mother Teresa. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's not even a coach. It's Mother wow. Teresa. I would have never guessed that. That's really cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love when I share that because I get the reaction of your face too, yeah. you know, uh, and, and we, we, you know, I just set people up like a coach, but yeah, and it, but it's the small things, whether it's in faith whether it's in, you know, teams. Uh, and I love your book, you know, right behind you, you know, raise your game. You know, I love that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> From the best of the best, man, you're, you're cranking on that book. I will make sure that the readers know how powerful that book is. And what I like to do, what I liked is the way you broke it up. You know, you got five chapters on the player, you got five chapters on the coach, five chapters on the team, and the different qualities and characteristics. So I thought we could just go back and forth. You don't have to go down the chapter list, but I want you to start first and just say, you know, what are, what's the first characteristic or quality of a high-performance person, individual, team, organization? What are, what are some of those qualities? Give me one, and then I'll, I'll riff back on you. So go. Uh, I'm going to go with Fairness is number one. Uh, I'm a big believer that you have to know yourself, uh, which if we expand upon a little bit, uh, you have to know what you do really well. Uh, yep. You have to know where your strengths lie, where your passions are, what your dreams are. But you also have to have the courage and the humility to look on the other side of the point and see where for growth are. Uh, what are some of your fears and insecurities? What's some of the baggage that you bring to relationships or to an organization? And you have to be able to own that. Um, and being able to stare fears and insecurities and baggage dead in the eye is not easy to do. That is some of the most difficult work that we'll do as human beings. Um, but then what's really important is making sure that the way you view yourself is in alignment with the way the rest of the world sees you. And this is not about pandering for somebody's uh, affection or approval. But if, if I were to ask you, John, if you're a good listener and you say, yes, Alan, I'm a great listener. And I ask the five people that know you the best and they go, oh, no, he's, he's hard-headed. He's like talking to a rock. He's the worst listener ever. That would mean the way you view yourself is not congruent with the way the rest of the world views you. And that would mean you have low self-awareness. As funny as it sounds, if I ask you if you're a good listener, which obviously you are, but if I ask you if you're a good listener and you said, Alan, you know what? That's an area that I really need to improve. You know, if I want to become a better leader, I need to improve my ability to listen. And then I asked the five people closest to you and they all agreed and said, yeah, that's if he wants to raise his performance, I mean, you have very high self-awareness because you're aware of this, this opportunity for growth. And, and really that's, I think needs to be the starting point. Uh, I know this analogy is, is a little cliched because everybody uses it, but when you, you look at a GPS, you have to know where you're starting and yet you have to know the end point. You have to have those two points in order for the GPS to work. Uh, but the very first one is just knowing who you are and where you are. So I'm going to go with self-awareness as my number one. I love it. And that's why it's chapter number one in your book too, by the yes, way. I, I knew you'd, you'd hit that. You know, you mentioned a couple of big things. First off, I think that's a great metaphor for the high performance zone. You know, this show, what we call the, yeah. the gap between where you are and where you want to go has to start with that self-awareness. Okay. Yes. Exactly what you said, you know, where, where am I and how do I, uh, where do I want to be and the, and the people there. So awesome. But I really love what you use the words humility and vulnerability as part of that. Um, and I think back to, you know, my time on the blues or any high performance team, uh, that's when it really showed, right? The, the guys who were the best were also the most humble, right? Yes. And, the, and the locker room, the ones who were the most vulnerable were the ones you respected. See, I think there's strength and vulnerability. Yes. And so I love that. Okay, awesome. Self-awareness. I also hear presence. When you say self-awareness, I think of presence, you know, uh, knowing are you present in the moment like us right now, you know, very engaged with each other. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll take another one. I'll say um, 
I think about my time on the Blue Angels, the really the high quality was the debrief room. And what that was, was a safe environment where, where accountability became personal responsibility, where a purpose larger than self was the center point. So I'll, I'll start with, uh, let's start with a purpose larger than self uh, as a team, as an organization, uh, as one of the most critical elements of, of a high performance team. Over to you. Oh, man, you, you nailed that. I love that. And, and, and that is crucial. And that's why, you know, I think that that purpose that you talk about, um, we want to use that as, as far as attracting the right people to the organization. And yes. then once we get them, we want to continue to develop them so that they have that, they can go after that purpose. So that's- Hey, that's, give me, I love it. Give me some teams that you've observed, okay, or were a part of, where they had that purpose larger than self. Can you, can you- can you finger that? Like, what was it? What was the purpose of yourself on the great ones? Well, you know, I'm going to use a reference that I'm sure most of your listeners aren't familiar with, and that is DeMatha Catholic High School uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. It was the second high school that I had an opportunity uh, to be a part of. And um, for reference, uh, they had a coach named Morgan Wooten uh, who coached there for 47 straight years. And at the time of his retirement, he was the all-time winningest coach in the history of high school basketball. He's one of only two high school coaches that have been inducted to the Naismith Hall of Fame. And again, wow. he coached there for 47 years. I've been breathing for 44 years. Like it's <laughs> remarkable. He won over 1,200 games. And yet it, one of his former players and his former assistant, Mike Jones, is the current coach who took over from Morgan Wooten, uh, I believe 19 years ago, and has done a tremendous job keeping that legacy. And that legacy is that, you know, basketball is a vehicle, but it is not the most important thing in life. That it's very important uh, that you keep your priorities in order. And, and DeMatha's moniker is they, you know, they want to, they want to relay, um, uh, help you become a scholar, uh, you know, and focus on your academics, but they also want you to become a gentleman and they want you to have, you know, skills and high moral code. Uh, so I love the fact that DeMatha basketball has been able to win at an unparalleled clip, you know, for the last 70 years. And yet at the same time, what they're most proud of is that they're helping young men because it's an all boys Catholic school. They're helping young men, um, you know, matriculate up and, and become uh, husbands and fathers and, and folks that do things and contribute to the world outside of the game of basketball. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons I had so much allegiance to that program is I believe in pouring into young people. Uh, I believe in planting seeds with young people now because they will be our future at some point. So being a part of that program and, and that purpose higher than just winning basketball games was certainly important to me, but it was important to everybody in the DeMatha basketball family. Wow. I love that story. It um, reminds me of your interview with James Franklin of Penn State. I, I, I was listening to that and uh, I, I don't know if the listeners know this because I didn't, but you have a quote that's in the, in the Penn State locker room and it's right next to Gandhi, it turns out. <laughs> Yes. Uh, only those that know my kind of sarcastic snide sense of humor can I get away with saying that because I never want to sound like a ass. But yeah, I just joke around uh, with some of my friends. I'm like, do you know what Gandhi and I have in common? We both have quotes at Penn State. And uh, yeah, no, I, I'm so proud of that. You know, what, I went, what are the quotes? You never said the quotes. So what well, are, well, my, my quote is, uh, are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow? Nice. And I think that's just another way of saying what you're talking about, about getting from where you are to where you want to be. It's the same thing. Because nice. what I tell people all the time, uh, it, your habits have to align with your dreams because if they don't, you have to change one of them. You either have to get better habits or you have to lower your dreams and no one wants to lower their dreams. So obviously we know, you know what, what it is they need to improve on. So uh, since I went to a small school down in North Carolina, uh, I really had no college football rooting interest for most of my life until they put my quote up in their training center. And now I'm a diehard Penn State football fan for sure. Nice. Well, I hope the Big Ten figures out what they're going to do this year, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Hey, you know, you mentioned habits, and I uh, also listened to uh, the interview you did with James Clear of Atomic yes. Habits. What, um, thinking back on that interview, what was it that stuck out to you? 
You know, J James is, is brilliant. And I say that most of the stuff that I teach, share, or write about on habits uh, has been heavily influenced by him. And anyone listening, if you have not lis uh, listened to the audiobook or read Atomic Habits, uh, it's an absolute must. Um, what I like about James is uh, he talks so much about environment. Uh, you know, you've got your physical environment. So if you're trying to, let's say, eat uh, a more healthy diet, well, the very first thing you need to do is change the physical environment, which in this case might be getting rid of junk food that's in your house. If the junk food's in the house, it makes it easier for you to have it. If it's not, then it's harder. And he's all about either increasing friction or decreasing friction. So you want to increase friction in the things you want to stop doing, and you want to decrease friction in the things that you want to start doing. Uh, and it's the same thing with you know, the people that you associate with. Uh, you know, I, I haven't known you very long, but I'm willing to bet that you would have never ascended to being in the Blue Angels if you hung around people that weren't passionate, people that were taking shortcuts, people that were demotivated, you know, people that had bad attitudes. Uh, there's, there's no way that, that, that clinging on to anchors like that would have allowed you to, to reach the upper 0.1% of your field. Um, so our environment and who we associate with and who we hang around uh, is incredibly important. And, and that's part of these habits. So instead of trying to gut things through with willpower, um, which will fatigue like a muscle, we want to set up our environment physically and with the people that are going to allow us to have the types of habits that we want to develop. Man, I love it. You know, you nailed one of the things as I reflect back on my time with the Blue Angels, two things came to mind. Uh, we actually, well, here, let me just ask, why do you think the Blue Angels exist? Why, why does the, why do we pay taxes? I, I don't know. That's a, yeah. I, I would, please educate me. No, no, it's, it's, it's for recruiting. Um, oh. it, it happened in 1946 when the, the war, World War II had just ended. Admiral Nimitz um, came back and he said, man, he says, you know, everybody's leaving the military because they, they didn't need them anymore, right? And he says, we, we need, um, we need to have a, a pipeline of pilots, you know, because it takes two years to train a pilot. Uh, at least today it does. And, uh, and so we need good people. So he went to this guy named Butch Voris, and, uh, who was a World War II ace. And he says, you know, I need you to take air-to-air -air combat, what happens high in the sky, bring it down low to the ground so that people can see what we actually do. And Butch started the Blue Angels. That's where it came from that. But it falls under the recruiting command because the idea was, can we attract really, really good people? And, uh, and that's what it is today. It's still about recruiting retention. That's actually where the money comes from. It comes out of the recruiting oh, yeah. command. So you and I both know, if you ever want to know why you exist, look at where the money change starts, right? But, yep. um, but here's what the blues did. We actually called ourselves ambassadors of goodwill. Oh, that's, I like that. See, that's our mission statement. I mean, yes, it's about excellence and, and uh, honor, but we called ourselves ambassadors of goodwill. And that was that center point, that rallying point where it didn't matter if you were in an air show, you're on the crowd line, you're in a, in a bar, if you're at home, you had to uphold those standards. Uh, whether when we took the team to Moscow, we took the team to Europe, we actually got to do that, but it's ambassadors of goodwill. So do you know another let's say slogan, it's not even a slogan, another mantra like that of a team that has such power? Boy, nothing's jumping out at me at the moment. And I, I love that, that, you know, that you use that as a recruiting tool because whether you're a team or a business, the recruitment of great people is where it all starts. I mean, that's, that's the key. I mean, the, really, if we run down that, that funnel, it's recruit great people, develop great people and train great people, appreciate great people so that you can yes, retain yeah. great people. And, and I realized based on the system the Blue Angels created, you guys were gonna have that turnover. That was part of the system. Um, but for most businesses, they don't wanna be turning over 50% of their workforce every year or two, uh, which means you have to give people a reason to stay. And, and that always connects back to your, you know, your insight on uh, purpose of higher than self, that when you can get people to buy into something bigger than themselves and they feel like they're contributing and they feel like they're making a difference, they're more likely to stay. But, but no, I, I can't think of, another, no one's popping to mind. Do you have another one? No, I don't. That's why I asked you. You know, I think oh. about mission statements of companies. And when I, when I hear one that really resonates, um, you know, I've never heard anything that clear, you know, and it's yeah. actually 
three words, you know, ambassadors of goodwill. It's, it's, it's very powerful. You know, as, as you're talking about, you know, companies and, 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 and I, I want to get back to the idea of a couple of things. You talked about gratitude being so important to you, right? And, uh, and me too. In fact, uh, you know, I'm wearing the glad to be here shirt because uh, glad to be here is the mantra, the foundation of, of what I live by. And it's a mindset. We're trying to start a movement on it, right? But start, one of, what I do is every morning, I do what I call a glad to be here wake up. It's one of my morning rituals. I wanted, I wanted to, to talk to you about rituals, right? Sure. And, and one of them that I have is the very first thing I do when I wake up is I just say, what am I grateful for? And I've trained my brain to wake up happy. Because if you can just train yourself to be grateful, and we can do this, um, you know, it, it changes the neuroplasticity that, that our brain has. And, and we can have more happy thoughts because the neurons that wire together, you know, fire together, right? Heads yes, they off. do. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I do. I'm glad to be a wake up. What am I, what am I grateful for in the present moment? I always go back 24 hours and think about others. Uh, uh, you know, who was I able to impact yesterday? Who helped me? And then I go forward in my day because I do this in the morning. Oh, and nice. I say, you know, what's going to happen today? And I think of um, not just my schedule. I usually use my schedule, but I think of actual individuals. And that's why you came to my mind the first thing in the morning. And uh, I mean, it's the minute I woke up, I said, man, I can't wait to, to talk with Alan because wow. I know he cares so deeply. And that's what you said when we even, uh, the audience doesn't know this, but I asked you, you know, hey, Alan, how can we make this the best podcast for you? And, you know, and your grateful response was, hey, I just want to be the best I can for your audience. And, and that's that purpose higher than self. I love it. So give me, your, give me a ritual that you, that you use. Well, well, you know, similar to what you do, I love the way that you frame that. I kind of do that at, at night before I go to sleep. And, and in some way, shape, or form, I basically ask myself this question every night. Uh, I just traded 24 hours of my life for the progress that I made today. Am I happy with that trade? And, nice. and part of that progress is, you know, whose bucket did I fill today? Uh, what do I have to be thankful for? You know, and, and I, I really think of those things because, you know, trading 24 hours of my life uh, – is a big deal. I mean, I, I know when we're younger, we don't think about it near as much, but you know, I'm technically on the back nine now. I'm 44 <laughs> years old. You know, I probably just passed half time, which means every day is important. And I want to make sure that I'm getting something out of every day. And when I say getting something, usually what I mean by that is giving something yes. to someone or serving, because then that actually fills my bucket. I get the most fulfillment out of service. So, you know, when you asked me, how could this podcast, you know, do something for me? Well, it'll give me fulfillment by knowing that I hit the mark for your audience. And there's really no higher sense of fulfillment than that. So that was really what's most important. Um, as far as my morning routine, uh, I'm naturally an early riser. Um, I don't need to set an alarm clock. I'm usually up at six or 6.30, just naturally. Um, the very first thing I do every single day is make my bed. Uh, yep. And the second thing I do is I follow a, a 10 minute meditation uh, using the Headspace app. Uh, oh, I've been nice. following that for a while now. Um, and then usually follow that with hydrating with some water and then try to do something physically active. Yep. Um, I've been training for an event that's coming up on September 5th. So I've been doing a lot of running lately. Uh, I do a lot of body weight calisthenics. Uh, some yoga type poses. I'm definitely yeah. not a yogi, but, but I just try to get my body moving. Uh, my number one goal, uh, and I'm not perfect with this by any means, but I've gotten much better, is not to look at my phone or look at email or social media for the first 60 minutes. If, if I can kind of connect mind, body, and spirit in that first 60 minutes, then I feel like I've set a great foundation to tackle the rest of the day. And then I can dive into the work that needs to be done. Um, and then the last 60 minutes before I go to bed, uh, I try to shut those things off as well. Um, yes. You know, maybe I'll watch a documentary on Netflix or something, but I try not to scroll through Facebook right before I go to sleep, or I yep. try not to check email right before I go to sleep. So I, I really try to guard my mental space during the bookends of my day. Man, I love that. We um, Very similar. I, I find that high performers have a certain ritual, right? And it, it's amazing how much yours is, is in line with mine. Um, after I started that gratitude practice, and that can take, you know, just a minute, one yeah. or two minutes, right? I do exactly the same thing you do. I, I, I have a, a focused meditation practice, and I can't wait to hear what, what meditation you're, you like to use. Um, we'll get back to that in a second. And then it's back to movement. I go out and I have this very routine. It's actually a bowing routine. It's kind of almost like martial arts to... Yeah 
to the four directions and I have a, 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 it's stretching, but it's also a mental practice. And then, yeah, like you, I do a little bit of yoga. In fact, I stand on my head every single day. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I wake up. I always wake up because I found that if you invert the energy, you know, our bodies are energy. And I, I realized this when I was flying with the blues because we fly upside down a lot. And normally, you know, in, in airplanes, you normally don't fly upside down, especially in civilian world. Sure. But, <laughs> yeah, but in Top Gun and in the military, when you're dogfighting, you'll be upside down, but you usually don't hold it. It's more of a three-dimensional fight. And you're, you're constantly having situational awareness, which gets back to your awareness, your self-awareness piece. But um, when I flew with the blues, we had to actually hold, inverted, 200 feet off the ground at 400 miles per hour and you're inverted. And then you have to do negative G pushouts. And I never realized, I go, normally they hurt because negative G's, positive G's are fine. It's like getting hit in football or, you know, you, you know, it's just, po- it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a force inward, but yeah. the negative one is outward. And the first time you do it, your eyeballs, you think they're going to pop out of your head. I mean, they're, they're crazy. But what I've learned is that inversion helps you. Get the negative energy. Get the get the energy to um, to reverse. So back to uh, you know um, your meditation. What what do you like to do? What is it? So there's an app called Headspace that I yep. follow. Um, so I, I'm certainly not uh, you know a meditation expert or anything, but I've uh, they they actually almost have a gamification component where it keeps track of your run streak. And yep. this morning was my 1,116th straight day wow. of doing the meditation, um, which you know uh, goes back to what we were talking about earlier the little things make a big difference. You know, I, I have a lot of people that say, you know, well, and I, I tried meditating for a couple of days and it didn't do anything for me. It's like, right. well, yeah, it, it, you need to make more of a commitment than that. And it yeah. probably took three or four months of me doing it um, before I could even have, you know, focus for a minute. I mean, it was really challenging for me. Um, but now over time, again, I, I'm not a Tibetan monk by any means, but I found that it improves my awareness, my mindfulness, my ability to stay grounded. Um, and even during that 10 minutes, I mean, my mind will shoot off to something else, but I now have the awareness to bring it back to center much quicker. And, you know, for that, I think it's helped in so many different areas. Um, yeah. You know, especially now where we're, we're kind of living in this global pandemic, this time of crisis. Um, and I say this with humility, I haven't felt rattled or frazzled during this. I mean, certainly I wish some things could change and, and I hate not being able to speak in front of groups in person as I'm sure you do. But generally speaking, uh, I think my meditation practice has had a huge impact on my ability to stay level and to keep yeah. composure when there's a lot of chaos going on in the world. And, and that doesn't mean I haven't had some, some low moods or you know, moments of disappointment when events get canceled. I mean, I'm, I'm human for sure, but I, I really think that that practice and starting every day from a place of grounded awareness has been a huge help. And I find myself much calmer in my parenting with my three young kids, much calmer when I, uh, a flight gets canceled, you know, those types of things. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of it. Man, I, we got to get Headspace to sponsor your podcast. Uh, yes, we absolutely do. I, I think that's the thing. <laughs> uh, I, I've been using Inside Timer, but, you know, very similar. And um, I really like that, um, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, my audience. And, and I think it's very similar to your audience. You know, we really do speak about the, the same things. And, and what I want to do is, as we kind of wrap this up, talk a little bit about, the, the connection between sports and business. And what I was, as I was preparing for this, I said, man, I really want to talk to Alan. I want to wrap with him about what connects, because there are definitely things that connect from the sporting world to the business world, but really even more importantly, what doesn't transfer? So over to you, give me whatever you... You want to start with? And it's funny because I actually think, I think if we had to fill two buckets, the, the things that do transfer would be almost full to the brim. And there's a lot less things that don't, but the, one of the biggest ones uh, that doesn't transfer is um, in sport, you know, it's usually team A versus team B and you've got predefined rules and you're going to play for this long. And the team that has the most points at the end is the winner. Uh, you clearly know who your competition is. You know who your opponent is that night. You can scout them. You can see what they do. You can come up with a strategy. And then on that night, you can try to score more points than they do. Uh, business, it's not near as cut and dry. You know, in your business, yes, 
you're going to have some competition and some people in your industry that, that offer a similar service or product, but it's not really you versus them, not in the same way that it is in sport. You know, in business, it's much more, and, and you do need to be aware of your competition, but in business, it needs to be, this is who we are, this is what we do, and we need to do it with a level of excellence that we will garner the most traffic or clients or customers or eyeballs or whatever it is that you're trying to get. Um, so it's not as definitive and it's not, and business is also ongoing. You know, it's, it's 365 for the most part. I know there are some seasonal businesses, uh, but you know, a, a basketball season, you've got the distinct off season where you're in more training phase. And then you have the season where you're preparing. You've got the in season where you're actually competing and you're playing those specific opponents we're business, not so much. All of those moving parts are happening all of the time. You know, your R&D team, they need to be doing research and development all of the time. Your marketing team needs to be marketing all of the time. HR needs to be helping keep the, the ship tight the entire year. So I think those are probably the biggest differences between sport and business uh, that I've noticed. Most everything else, I think there's a high utility and high transfer. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love you brought up the competition piece. Because I was thinking back to, um, like on the Blue Angels, it's like a sports team, a yeah. little bit unique, but most of it transfers, okay? There, there really does, like you said, you know, the trust, the teamwork, the ability to believe in each other, the verbal contracts, you know, back and forth, and, and uh, this debrief ability of, of learning every single day, right? But I, I, I want to go back to what you just said about the competition, because and on the blues, you know, we didn't have any competitors. Now you could right. say that we did, that would be the Thunderbirds. Okay. The Thunderbirds are the air force equivalent, you know, same number of jets, same number of people, uh, slightly, you know, different aircraft F 16 versus an F 18, but basically it's the same product and it's the same mission. Uh, and we never competed against them. Even though there's always a rivalry, you always wanted to make sure your maneuver was cooler or something like that. But I think, and, and this is how I live in my business life too. I say I have no competitors. Yes. I, I only have allies, you know? I mean, everyone out there, yourself, all the other speakers of the world, we're all allies for each other uh, because we're there, you know, delivering a message that's helping somebody else. And I think that the key for businesses, if they were to embrace this concept that you just talked about, and that is that really what you want to do is you want to look inward and compare yeah. yourself to how good you be. It's that constantly looking at how, how, how much better can we be? Can we be at our full potential? And then, you know, be aware of the competition just to know what's out there, but you're not competing against them. What do you think? Oh, you nailed that. You know, I'll bring up the DeMatha again, you know, the, the, basket, the high school basketball team. You know, Coach Jones would do a tremendous job of, of scouting the opponent. You know, he, he would want to know who their best players are, uh, what some of their tendencies were, maybe some of the plays that they'd were, uh, run. But from a preparation standpoint, yeah. it was 90% what DeMatha was trying to do and 10% what the opponent might try to do. Because his mindset was, if we do what we're capable of to the best of our ability, then we don't have anything to worry about will be just fine. And, you know, I, I like that mindset. So let's worry about our execution. Let's worry about yes. our preparation. Let's worry about our effort and attitude and the way that we play together. And yeah, we're going to be aware of other things. So we don't want to be caught by surprise. But if we do our job down to the 15th man to the best of our ability, then we've greatly increased our chance of being successful. And, you know, he would never guarantee that we would win because you can't make those types of guarantees in life. But he Joe would say, Namath. You know, Joe Namath. Yes, I guess that is true. And, and probably Muhammad Ali to some degree. Yes, there you go. But, but for the most part, <laughs> right. yeah, it's the mindset of let's do what we can do to yeah. increase the chance that we'll be successful. And, and I just think that's, that's so important, um, especially in business. You know, again, yeah. businesses offer similar products and they're going to offer similar services. Um, but what should be unique and what should be every business should have a, a unique fingerprint that cannot be replicated. That is your culture. That is yes. your team and your people. You know, those, you can copy a product, uh, you can copy a layout or a design, you can copy someone's prices, but you, should, you, you can't replicate culture, not if it's done the right way. And what is it that makes your team unique and special? And that's what you want to double down on. Uh, that's where, you know, most of your focus should be on what can we do to, to exceed our standards and live a life of excellence. And then you don't have to worry about anybody else. 
I love it. In fact, one of the uh, sayings I talk about on the Blue Angels is we had a culture of excellence and a culture of caring. And I think oh, you need both, right? You gotta have both. Hey, I wanna, um, uh, I could keep going on and on, but what I know I, this is so much fun. Oh, we will though. We will. We'll, we'll be back. We'll, we'll make sure we connect. I really want my audience to understand, you know, how much value you bring, whether it's in your podcast, your book, the, all the programs you have, the speaking, uh, make sure that, you know, everybody, please check it out, you know, raise your game uh, and definitely the podcast. Uh, but I want to wrap up with just actually three questions and they'll, they'll be quick. Sure. The first is though, you know, what was your biggest takeaway today? What did you take away from this interaction of you and I, and I'll share with you afterwards. Well, I mean, the, the one that immediately jumps out was how cool that Mother Teresa quote was that uh, <laughs> I, I did not see that coming. And, and I, I love that, you know, because uh, what it does is it reminds me that, that I, I want to always be in learning mode with my eyes and my ears open and not try to anticipate and think that I already know something uh, because there's a good chance that I don't. Um, so that was one thing that stuck out. But the other, you know, and, and again, in fairness, uh, I've devoured so much of your work ahead of time. I mean, the, the moment I was introduced to you, I started watching all of your videos and, and just, you know, the concept of, of everything you talk about with the Blue Angels, it really fascinates me that, you know, you were at the upper 0.1% of a, of a very niche you know, skill set. And yet everything you learn there has the high utility that you can now share with businesses, with sports teams, with other areas of the military. You know, I just, I'm so fascinated by concepts of high utility. So anytime I've watched one of your videos or interacted with you, I've absolutely picked up some nuggets and learned some great stuff. Man, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I learn every time we talk too. the, the first thing that hits me is your story about coach K and the heart you know, and, and I, I think about, you know, culture, and you, you talked about the, the culture at the end there, but a culture of, of, of a heartfelt culture, you know, connecting the heart and the head too, right? Yes. Uh, just, just huge. And, and that's what I've seen you do so well, too, is all these analogies, and we didn't even get a chance. We only talked about chapter one of your book, Self-Awareness. <laughs> so we've I got mean, four, 14 more episodes we need to do together. That's no problem. We do, because you've <laughs> nailed it. I mean, your book nails it, whether it's passion, discipline, coachability, confidence, vision, culture. I mean, it's all there, right? Um, and, and I think I concur the same that, you know, it applies. It applies to business. It applies to life. And, uh, and that's pretty awesome. So the other question I had for you is, and then we'll do what I call a glad to be or share out. And I always end on, on a gratefulness comment, but okay. um, is there, is there a mantra or a saying that you've seen or that you have that you live by that you'd want to share with our audience? What, what would be a mantra or a saying that you live by? I consider myself very fortunate that very early in my coaching career, just I guess by happenstance, or if one wants to call it luck, I was mentored by some really, really good coaches. And the very first thing they taught me was that the that, that coaching 101, uh, parenting 101, teaching 101, leading 101 is the mindset of, it's not about me, it's about you. That whoever you're working with or whoever you're addressing, uh, it's not about me, it's about you. And that does not mean that you think less of yourself or that you right. devalue your needs. It simply means that you put a priority on what other people are looking to do. And, and that's really the, the code at which I try to live my life. You know, admittedly, probably the first 25 to 30 years of my life, I didn't do a great job of that. I was, I was fairly selfish and I was sure. always worried in every interaction, what can I get out of this? What can I siphon off of this person? Yeah. And, you know, I think that was just from some emotional immaturity. But now that I've gotten older, especially now that I have children, uh, my mindset is, what can I do to add value to someone else? You know, what can I do? I mean, the, the moment that you and I connected, the very first thing I start thinking is, okay, this guy is remarkable. He's very accomplished. But what can I do to add value to John? Uh, who can I introduce him to that, that might help him? And that's the mindset I want to have. And, and that is what gives me the most fulfillment now. Uh, so I think the, the mindset and mantra of it's not about me, it's about you is really the code at which I try to live by. Man, and, and you do. You've been giving me so much already. In fact, I can't wait to, to pick your brain some more. Um, sure. You know, you, you, you live that mantra. I, I like a mantra called uh, learn, grow, give. Uh, that's kind of what I've been every morning I wake up very much like you and I say, you know, learn, grow, give. What can I learn today? How can I grow? But most importantly, how can I give? You know, what can I do to support others? And then as you were talking, another uh, really powerful thought hit my head. And that is 
The world is coming from us, not at us. Oh, that's, mm. boy, we, we all need that more now than ever uh, yes. with, with going on in the world right now. Oh, I love that. And, you know, it, it, we could probably exchange quotes and mantras all night long. But uh, another thing that I learned that, that really goes with your give component is uh, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Oh, nice. You know, that the more candles you light, it doesn't extinguish yours. And, and, and that means life is not zero sum. You know, that, that I can do things to add to your bucket. It doesn't deplete my bucket. My yes. bucket stays strong and stays full. Uh, and I think, you know, again, as I'm getting older, um, words like legacy start becoming, you know, more important to me. And, and I do believe that my legacy will be uh, how much I've been able to give. How many buckets have I been able to fill? Uh, am I raising three children that are going to grow up to be contributors to this world and, and moral and high character, well-adjusted, happy people? You know, to me, that's what's most important. So I just try to prioritize my life so that I'm feeding the things that, that I want to be most important to me. Wow. Wow. You know, I want to end on a glad to be here share out. And what that is, is, you know, a statement of what am I grateful for? And uh, I'm grateful for you that you actually live your talk. You walk the talk. And I'm grateful for uh, what you're giving to the world out there today. Um, I'm super grateful for this time. I, I hope our listeners have really enjoyed uh, the depth of your wisdom. Uh, but, you know, thank you. Thank you for being on the show, but mostly thank you for what you do for so many people in this world. Glad to be oh, here, man. buddy. Well, I, I appreciate that more than you know. Uh, you know, I, I know that we're just starting a friendship now, but I always already have a strong appreciation and, and really value uh, your leadership. Um, even though it's early in our relationship, your mentorship, I mean, you've already bestowed some great, bestowed some great nuggets to me um, and, and the feeling's very mutual. And, you know, it's, it's neat because, um, you know, our, our, your listeners certainly wouldn't know this, but uh, I, I'm represented by someone named Michelle Joyce. And she yes. called me one day and she said, um, have you heard the name John Foley? And at the time I hadn't. And she said, you have to check this guy out. He is absolutely remarkable. I think you two would hit it off. Um, you come from different backgrounds, but you, you really talk the same stuff. So of course that night I went home and, you know, started looking at all your stuff and uh, was just immediately impressed. And then like two days later, um, a good buddy of mine named Mike sends an email that says, Hey, Alan, yes. I, I want you to be, you, you need to, to introduce yourself to this John and maybe get on his podcast. And I'm like, this is insane. In 48 <laughs> hours, two people that I really trust and respect told me that I have to be, you know, checking your stuff. And, and having done that, I can see with, with the level that you're on, you know, you're going to prove to be a really important role model to me so that I can, can, you know, try to emulate mastery of craft the way that you have. And it's only going to allow me to get that much better. So uh, I appreciate all of the work you're doing. Uh, this has been so much fun tonight. So I am most certainly glad to be here. Thanks, buddy, man. Heart to heart. We're going um, to stay connected. We're going to make a big difference in the world. Hey, everybody. So uh, high performance zone. Remember, you learned a lot today, and that's the closing the gap between where you are and where you want to go. Uh, be strong, be safe, and let's be grateful. Glad to be here. Thanks, Alan.